No one has ever said raising kids is easy. With an overwhelming amount of information about healthy diets, discipline strategies, and the need for more tummy time, it can be really hard to make sense of it all. Welcome to Tot Talk. I'm Mary, a pediatric occupational therapist. And I'm Allison, a pediatric physical therapist. Together, we created Tots on Target to join parents, teachers, and pediatric professionals into one community with the mission to empower each other with a greater understanding of how our children's brains and bodies develop, join us as we discuss the most relevant topics to help keep all our tots on target. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining our 10th podcast. We're super excited this time to be joining together with Jacqueline Kinser, lactation consultant, IBCLC, that's Internationally Board Certified Lactation Consultant. And we are going to be having an amazing discussion with her all about breastfeeding solutions. Mary and I had a ton of questions for her that she spoke so well on the struggles that so many moms deal with, why moms are having struggles with breastfeeding, and how to think about breastfeeding in a way that you can take on all the challenges that you face. So anyway, we will get started. Thank you again for joining us. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. And also leave a review so that more families, moms, dads, can find our podcast. Jacqueline, welcome. We are so excited that you are here chatting with us this morning. Um, We are so happy that you got up nice and early. I know we are on two different time zones and we are just so thrilled that you are here. Thank you so much for having me, Mary and Allison. It's just an honor. Perfect. So I really want to just dive right in. I would love for our listeners to learn a little bit more about you. So firstly, like how did you become interested in breastfeeding lactation? And then why did you decide to start this journey with holistic lactation? Yeah, that's that's a great question because it wasn't something I dreamed of being as a kid or or getting involved in. <laughs> Probably had zero awareness about it. I always loved teaching though. And before I became a mom, I was actually a stockbroker. And I loved that job because I got to teach people how to manage their finances, which was really exciting. Uh, But then my son was born and I had planned on taking off about a year uh, from work. And I had just so the birth didn't really go the way that I wanted, even though I took, you know, 12 weeks of Bradley Method classes and then breastfeeding, I was just, it was like being hit by a free train. I had no idea really what to expect, even though I had taken a class. Uh, the class was kind of more about the benefits of breast milk, not really helping me learn how to breastfeed. And so I just found myself really scrambling for help. I read the Womanly Art of Breastfeeding cover to cover after I gave birth, and I was just searching for answers about why why was breastfeeding hurting? I saw a lactation consultant. She said everything was going great. And I was like, well, why does it hurt so bad? And it just seemed to me that there were there wasn't enough information out there. So I kept digging and digging and digging. Long story short, I ended up becoming a La Leche League leader. And then I just looked wherever I could find classes. How do I learn more? How do I help more women with stuff that I needed help with? And I went and got my board certification to become a lactation consultant. And then I opened my practice just after my daughter was born. Um, so actually I sat for my boards when she was four weeks old. And I just knew I needed to get out there in my community because if I didn't have the help I needed and I searched high, low and everywhere in between, then 
you know, I'm in a large metro area here in Phoenix, Arizona. I knew that there were more moms that needed the help that I could offer them. Yeah, that's so wonderful. And I mean, I definitely, same with my daughter, I struggled. I used a nipple shield. She had a really hard time latching. Um, I found it, it was frustrating. Um, eventually we were able to power through and, you know, get rid of the nipple shields, but uh, it was, it was definitely overwhelming. And she was my first and I was a, you know, a first time mom. And I can definitely empathize with, especially new moms, because it's, you know, you think that the baby is going to lash, latch effortlessly and it's going to be this beautiful moment. And I found it to be quite challenging. Challenging. So I guess what I'm wondering in your experience as a professional, why do you think so many moms struggle with it? Yeah, I well, now I know exactly why. If you asked me a couple of years ago, I don't know if I'd have an answer for you. Uh-huh. Um, because with my son, I couldn't figure it out. You know, mm-hmm. what what was the missing piece? What was I doing wrong? And I was that mom, and I hear so many moms out there saying this, but I was that mom who was like, I've literally tried it all. Like I've watched every video I could on positioning. I've seen a lactation consultant. I've asked the pediatrician. I have a midwife. Like, why is this not working? Why am I in pain for all these weeks? And and he was colicky. And I just, I didn't find any baby books that were helpful. I didn't find any breastfeeding books that were helpful. I went to La Leche League meetings. I still felt like there was a huge lack and I was exhausted by it. And I, and I hear so many moms saying, I've tried it all. Well, at the end of the day, I didn't know until he was a lot older that he had a tongue tie and a lip tie. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't anything that I was doing wrong. And then I got to this place in my profession where I, I focused on that because I was seeing this be the major problem that, you know, most moms are pretty smart. Uh, they could figure it out. If they work with lactation consultant, and things are going well, they never need help again, right? But the reason why they continue needing help or, or never, you know, fix the problems is because of the ties, because of an anatomical issue that's going on with their baby. And so a lot of moms tend to internalize it thinking, well, what, what, what am I doing wrong? And that, or I've done it all. And then the other problem there is that there's a lot of lactation consultants who are now playing catch up to learn about ties. So they'll say, well, I have worked with an IBCLC. Great. But did she know about ties? Well, she said, maybe there's a tie. Okay. Well, we've got to know for sure. And so the other, uh, I went to the kind of the other extreme in my profession where I thought, well, I guess my role is supporting everything regarding breastfeeding, but if it's a tie, they just go get it fixed and then wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. But that's not true either. Fixing the tie doesn't create proper oral function for your baby. It enables that to happen, but doesn't create that. So now where I've gone full circle with my job is absolutely you need an IBCLC like me to support you in your journey because you get a procedure done, but the procedure itself doesn't create function. So that's where I come in and I still have to manage the lactation and breastfeeding issues because it's not like your baby's just going to magically latch perfectly. Maybe they do right after the procedure, but there's a lot more involved in those weeks after the procedure. And so what I find is just, you know, the major problem that I'm seeing most of the time, 95% of the time is an underlying issue of ties. Interesting. And I know, I mean, you said something about this sort of being a new, um, a new area. I mean, I, well, for me, I mean, I definitely, I never really heard of tongue and lip ties until I would say the past few years. So first you just help to define exactly what is a tongue and or lip tie and how would that impact breastfeeding? Yeah. So a tongue tie and and a lip tie, they're the, a tongue tie is the frenulum under the tongue. Mm -hmm. It's a little band of collagen that's there and everyone has a frenulum. Uh, and so that's, I can't, I think that's the number one thing that people understand is everybody has a frenulum, whether or not it's a tie depends on what type of collagen is there. So there's four different types of collagen. 
there's some particular types that are very tight and not stretchy and immobile. And they restrict the motion of the muscle that it's attached to, in this case being the tongue. So when we have a band of collagen, it doesn't matter where it's located under the tongue. It could be attached to the tip of the tongue. It could be attached to the mid tongue. It could be attached to the floor of the mouth. It could be attached to the lower gums. To me, that's not so important. What is important is how restrictive that band of tissue is. So if we can't get enough tongue elevation where the tongue can reach the roof of the mouth when it's wide open, then we know it's a tongue tie. Okay. Uh, and with a lip tie, there's a band of collagen that attaches from the upper lip to the upper gums. And where, where that's attached, you know, may or may not matter. But again, it's about the mobility of the lip. Can we get that lip to flare over the nostrils without any sort of restriction going on there? And most of the time we can't when it's a lip tie. So those are really the two things. And, you know, they affect breastfeeding in really dramatic ways. And it doesn't look the same for every breastfeeding situation. So are you able to identify a tongue and lip tie just by looking at it? You're able to see that there's Excellent restriction question. there? No. Okay. <laughs> no one is. Okay. Um, unless, I, I would say absolutely, if there's a frenulum that's attached to the tip of a tongue, yes, it's a tongue tie for sure. Um, I would also maybe argue that if the frenulum is attached to the lower gums, it's probably always going to be a tongue tie. Um, similarly for a lip tie, if the lip tie inserts between where the two upper incisors would erupt, because if it's a baby, they don't have them yet, but those two upper teeth, uh, then it's it's definitely lip tie because it's at least going to cause a diastema or a gap between the teeth once those teeth emerge. Um, so those are the only times where I could tell visually or anyone could tell visually, but otherwise it's all about the function because we can, like I said, everybody has a frenulum. And so what I don't love is when people send me photos and go, is this a lip tie? Is this a tongue tie? I really don't know because I don't know what it looks like when your baby's breastfeeding. What mm -hmm. are the mechanics? Do you have the latch and the positioning right? Are you doing all the right things, but your baby still is compensating or cannot feed in a functional way? Meaning that they're not swallowing air. They're not, um, you know, tongue thrusting. They're not uh, using their jaw too much. Like there's a lot of things that babies will do where they can get plenty of milk and gain weight great, and you might not even have any nipple pain, but they could still be doing things dysfunctionally. And that requires, you know, a, a physical and visual assessment of, of movement, not just a structure. Yeah. Jacqueline, would you see the same issues with bottle feeding if there was a tongue or lip tie present, or would this really solely be for breastfeeding? That's a really good question. It totally affects bottle feeding. There is a right and wrong way to bottle feed for sure. Just like there's a right and wrong way to breastfeed. And I know that doesn't sound like something that people love to hear, but it's true. Um, and so with bottle feeding, most of the time people are using the wrong bottles. They've kind of been sold on some marketing that this one's more like the breast. I always tell my, my clients and my patients, like if anything says that it's probably a bottle to avoid just because mm -hmm. it's probably not it it's probably not at all like a breast that's inside of a baby's mouth. It usually looks like a breast that's not in a baby's mouth. And those are two totally different things. So if we know we've got the right bottle for that baby, then we can assess is the swallowing pattern, you know, and tongue movement pattern, all of that, that should look a certain way, just like it should look a certain way with breastfeeding. It's a different way, but I still see babies struggling with bottle feeding with ties. Got it. So when a mom first comes to you and, you know, she's really struggling, she is feeling a little defeated, um, what are some ways or what are some tips that you offer? Or what are some things that you help her with to maximize her success? Oh, that's a good question. You know, she could be struggling with a number of things and usually it's more than one thing. You know, it could be a milk supply issue. It could be food intolerances. It could be 
you know, a baby that's not willing to latch or latch consistently or latch well, you know, there's a lot of things. What I usually try to remind moms of is that most of the time, it's not that they're doing anything wrong, really, to not take it personally. Also, if their baby is not happy with breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's really hard for a lot of moms is, especially even if they had like a tough birth experience, they're hoping that breastfeeding will be kind of this redeeming experience. And then when that's not going well too, it's just this perfect storm of emotional distraught. And so I try to acknowledge where that mom is at, but also remind her like, this is completely fixable. Like Mm -hmm. there's literally no breastfeeding situation that if you're working with the right lactation consultant, that isn't fixable. Now I can't ever promise that you're going to have a 100% full milk supply if you've got some underlying issues going on, but I can certainly promise you that we can get you to make more milk, right? And so there's always an improvement that can be made. But I think what moms do is they put this pressure on themselves, like that they have to figure it out on their own. Like they're not a good mom if they have to get so much help. And that's just not true. You know, in fact, you're doing your baby a disservice when you avoid seeking professional help or maybe even a second or third opinion um, if you didn't get the right help to begin with because, you know, your baby wants to enjoy breastfeeding as much as you want to enjoy it. And if you are, neither of you are enjoying it, We need to figure out why that is because, you know, think about it just biologically, right? Breastfeeding in the absence of formula and bottles is really the thing that makes sure that our children grow into adults, right? Without that in the past, we would not be here as a species. So if it's something that's unpleasant, that really wouldn't make sense from an evolutionary standpoint. So we need to make sure like it should be something pleasant. And if it's not, that's okay. And I acknowledge that and I see that you're struggling but let's not keep struggling. Yeah. It's yeah. a really interesting point that you made about moms feeling like they should know how to do this because I feel like there's no other job in the world that you would think you could just do well right off the bat with no training except for being a mom. With moms, we feel like we should be able to do all these things without consulting with the professionals all the time. Yes. Yes. And I I totally agree. And I think sometimes there's not an awareness that there are professionals that can help or Someone will say, well, I saw a lactation consultant in the hospital. Great, cool. But now you're out of the hospital and now your milk came in and now your baby's older and you know things have changed dramatically. You need help from someone not in that setting that's used mm-hmm. to dealing with babies other than babies a few days old. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely see that. And I also would say that moms really do know their babies best. They know deep down that something's not going well. Um, and so if you've ever had a provider tell you otherwise, oh, breastfeeding's going great. And you're like, uh, hmm, that doesn't, <laughs> doesn't really match what's going on, but okay. Yeah. Don't, don't let them gaslight you. Just really listen to your intuition and say, hmm, you know, I'm going to keep searching for someone that can give me answers. You know, I wish too, there was more awareness of professionals like yourself. So, you know, same thing in the hospital, I was seen by one of the nurses there who was a lactation consultant and had advanced training. I can't see it was overly helpful. She sort of just gave me a nipple shield and said, roll with this. Um, But I almost wish, you know, you don't go back, you know, I didn't go back to my gynecologist until six weeks in. I almost wish maybe the pediatrician would have asked some of these questions, even about me and, and breastfeeding and be, you know, maybe he would be able to point me in the direction of more professional guidance. And it was sort of like once I left the hospital, that contact with that nurse was over and I didn't get much guidance after that. So yeah. how how do your clients find you? Have you partnered with pediatricians? How do you get the word out that you know you exist and you're there to help? 
Good question. Well, podcasts like this help because they bring awareness to people. And that's why I started my own podcast as well. Um, but and a lot of people just find me online, unfortunately. They're left to just figure it out on their own. I've made as much effort as I can in my local community where there are hospitals here that thankfully a lot of them do hand out a list that goes in the discharge packet that says, here are resources in the community to help you once you leave the hospital. Um, but not every hospital does that. Some have policies that say we don't give any of that out, which, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of scratch my head and go, why? Like, right. they can't come back to you for help. So right. and especially we're, not, now, we're not taking your business. Like, yes, just, uh, especially you know. now, because like moms spend literally like a day and a half in the hospital where like back yes. when, you know, our moms were in the hospitals or certainly our grandmothers, like they were there for like a week. And now I was in the hospital with my youngest literally one day. And that was it. Mm-hmm. And you, and as you said, your milk doesn't even come in at that point. So right. you don't really know if you're struggling yet because, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're just not there when you're already being discharged from the hospital. Yep. And if they gave some anticipatory guidance where they were like, Hey, your milk should be coming in in the next like couple days, uh, you know, after you get home, if it doesn't, or if you're experiencing pain or symptoms like XYZ, you need to call an IBCLC or your pediatrician or your OB or, like whoever it is, right? Um, And, you know, I do have pediatricians that refer to me and they're definitely the best sort of contact for me because they are seeing these babies, you know, in the first month of life, uh, you know, often going for that three-day checkup after you get home from the hospital. Uh, But I think the pediatricians, you know, there's still a lot of education that needs to happen there because they're usually so focused on the weight gain. So they don't really know anything about breastfeeding. They you know, it's not really their fault. Um, they could take it upon themselves to get some more education on it. But in medical school, they're given one hour of training on breastfeeding. And it's wow. basically just saying breastfeeding is great and encourage your patients to do that. But they get visited by these formula reps all the time. And quite honestly, I just don't have that kind of a budget. So right. you know, it's really hard for me to hire like a sales rep to go out on my behalf. Um, yeah. <laughs> I could spend my time marketing, but then I'm not spending my time seeing patients. So it's it's a catch 22, you know, the ones that I do have referred to me, we have excellent relationships and we coordinate care with our patients and it's wonderful, but there's still so much, you know, so far to go. And then my job, I feel like is also educating people on like what you guys do. Like my clients are going, what's an occupational therapist (laughs) and why (laughs) would I need one of those? Well, let me tell you. So I feel like I, I kind of pay it forward where I'm educating them about, you know, all these other types of things that they may need as well. Um, Jacqueline, I have two actually follow questions to just about the breastfeeding. One is, is it ever normal for there to be pain? Is that a normal part of the process for moms to experience pain with breastfeeding? I'm so glad you asked that. It's not. It's really not. And and that's a myth that unfortunately is is passed down a lot of the time by like midwives who know a lot about pregnancy and birth, but generally don't know as much about breastfeeding and lactation. And no, pain is a sign of a problem. Mm-hmm. And pain is not in your head. It's, okay. it's, it can be psychosomatic, but most of the time it's, it's real. And especially if you have damage to your nipple tissue, bruising, cracking, chafing, bleeding, any of that, absolutely 100% not normal. And you need to get help right away yeah. because you're at a higher risk for mastitis, um, stopping breastfeeding, you know, just more nipple trauma, like we infection, we can't do that. So what I really want moms to understand is there's a difference between some tenderness because you're, you've never breastfed before and it feels different. And maybe you put a nipple cream on after feeding and it feels better and that's great. But if you're moving into that territory of not just tenderness, but soreness and pain, 
that's, that's the pathology of breastfeeding. We want to make sure you get that treated. And that does need to be treated by a healthcare provider, which would either be an IBCLC or, or your OB. Because, um, you know, there's a lot of different lactation labels out there, lactation counselors, educators, whatever, but they're just that counselors and educators. They, they're not clinicians. They don't give you hands-on help. And that's what you're going to need if you're at that point. Okay. And that's really because a baby's not latching properly. Is that typically where the pain comes from is there's difficulty for that latching or could there be other reasons that's causing pain? Yeah, it can be that they're not latching properly and it may be that they're not able to because they're tied. So, it. or it could be that sometimes I'll, I'll hear moms say, well, the lactation consultant hospital said the latch looked great. Well, the latch can look great, but what's going on inside the mouth? That may not be great. So if the baby has a tongue thrust and instead of moving the tongue up and down in the mouth in a nice wave-like peristaltic motion, now if that baby is thrusting the tongue forward and back, forward and back, well, it's rubbing on the tissue. Um, so, and then if, if they cannot nurse with a deep latch because they can't elevate the tongue properly and they have a more shallow latch, then we're getting this kind of sandpaper effect where the nipple isn't protected in the back of the mouth. Now it's more forward in the mouth and it's rubbing up against the hard palate. So that's not going to feel very good. There's a lot of reasons why it can happen. Sometimes a lip tie can cause pain. That frenulum band can be so tight that that lip and the upper gums are actually rubbing on the breast and the nipple tissue. So there's a, there's a lot of reasons. Some babies also can be very chompy. So instead of moving the tongue up and down, they move their jaw up and down, which is a lot harder work for them. They tend to fatigue really easily, but then they're actually chewing on the breast and maybe even their gums are kind of pressing on the breast and we see that happen. And sometimes it happens in the newborn stage, other times it doesn't become apparent until the child is older and they're teething. Mm-hmm. So maybe six months plus they start to get teeth. All of a sudden breastfeeding hurts. Well, the reason for that is because they've probably been chomping all along and they're still chomping now. Um, or it could be that the tongue isn't able to extend forward over the lower gums to cover the teeth. So now the teeth are hitting the breast and that can cause quite a bit of pain and even nipple damage. The, no, this is very helpful information because I think a lot of parents just, a lot of moms need to hear this so that they know that this is the time they should call that professional in. You know, this is not normal. Um, the other question I have is I um, had my twins premature. They were 34 weekers and I was not able to breastfeed in the beginning because they didn't have that suck swallow reflex. Um so I pumped for a month and then I lost my milk. Like I wasn't even making enough. I I tried nursing for a very short time, but it was very difficult to go from now bottle feeding, especially with the pumping and the bottle feeding, and then to start with the nursing. Have you worked with moms of preemies and had success with transitioning from the bottle to nursing? Yeah, I, I have. And I hear you because that's that's a really hard struggle, you know, and, and on top of that, you're obviously worried about the health of your babies and there's so much going on. Um, it really starts with the hospital. And unfortunately, most of the time, it's just really mismanaged care. Um, you know, we know that kangaroo care where you're skin to skin with your babies as much as possible. Uh, and there are ways to encourage babies that young to actually latch to the breast, but not, they're not necessarily going to breastfeed but you can certainly insert a feeding tube or if they already have one in their, in their, you know, an NG tube or something like that, like we can make it happen even that young. So a lot of times it's just unfortunate that the hospital tends to go right to the bottle and you're expected to just pump and they give your babies breast milk. 
Um, it doesn't mean that you're screwed, but it does mean that, you know, you're going to have to use some training wheels to get there. Oftentimes up until, you know, 37, 38 weeks, we're going to use a nipple shield to make the transition along with a supplemental feeding at the breast. So you can easily introduce a feeding tube that just goes behind the nipple shield or maybe in the corner of the baby's mouth where they get to breastfeed and get milk and get used to the feeling of being at the breast, which means that you're saving time. Because if you can feed your baby even the supplement that you would have given in a bottle at the breast, you're not breastfeeding and then giving a bottle. You're just doing it all in one go. So that's a time saver. But I will say a lot of moms, that's not really normalized. It isn't taught in the hospital. So when I work with moms, they have kind of an aversion to doing that. Like, oh, that seems cumbersome. Or, oh, it's it's a big, you know, they, they see bottle feeding as a time saver. But the truth is, is that especially for a preemie baby, really should be holding them close when you're bottle feeding. It's not that you just give them the bottle and sort of walk away. And so we see this sort of cultural ideal that bottle feeding is something sort of that the baby does. It's not really an active process between the parent and the baby. Um, And if we encourage that more, it's obviously great for their developments and their feeding patterns at the bottle as well. But realize that bottle feeding or breastfeeding, it's going to take time. If we can combine those into one thing where we're just doing all the feeding at the breast eventually, then we can start to wean off and take those training wheels off and and see that baby doing better and better at the breast. But if they don't have the motor skills to be at the breast, we can't expect them to go suddenly to the breast. So that's where a lot of moms get defeated is they'll try to latch the baby but they're not giving the supplemental milk. The baby has no incentive to be at the breast because it's harder to get the milk. And we just see this cascade of going, well, I guess I'll just exclusively pump. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any time that if a mom started off bottle feeding, I guess this is a similar question, but without the preemie factor of if they didn't nurse, but now they want to start, is that, I guess they would have to like still have their milk in place. Is that a hard transition to make similarly? Um, would you give the same kind of guidance? Yeah, I would actually give similar guidance and it's possible. I would say though, that for a mom who wants to do that, what she needs to realize is that it will be a dedicated uh, thing that you really do need to be committed to the process, that you can't just try a couple times a day to latch your baby and hope that they'll just magically do it. And the reason is it's, it's generally not a behavioral thing. It can be though. There's a lot of factors. So like one, if you're trying to latch your baby over and over again, and then they're getting frustrated and upset, you're actually making them more averse to latching at the breast. So breastfeeding always has to be a calm and pleasant experience. Otherwise they're going to prefer some other method of feeding. The other thing is that most of the time bottle feeding is done incorrectly. Most babies get on the bottle, they get the milk right away and the flow is steady and consistent and fast the whole time. We don't want that with bottle feeding. We really shouldn't be bottle feeding our babies that way, but it's just, it tends to be how people do it because they're just not getting the education. But we need to slow down bottle feeding. We need to put the bottle in the baby's mouth and not let them have the milk right away because that's what's going to happen at the breast. Mm -hmm. Their job as a baby is to go to the breast and stimulate the milk to flow. And then the breast has the letdown and, and does the contractions of the smooth muscle to get the milk out. And then the flow slows, the baby needs to work to get the flow going again. And that's how breastfeeding works. It's We can create that at the bottle too. So we have to make breastfeeding and bottle feeding as similar as possible. And then maybe, yeah, we put on some training wheels, like a nipple shield, like a supplementary at the breast. And then it's consistency. It's keeping the breast calm and pleasant, lots of skin to skin, things like that, where 
you know, I usually tell moms, do like a baby moon vacation over the weekend and just hang out in bed with your baby, skin to skin, trying over and over again, take a bath with your baby. And eventually this confluence of factors, you will get the baby back to the breast. But I wouldn't say expect it to happen in two days. It may take a week. It may, it may take longer. You know, just depends on age of the baby, so many factors. It's really helpful. But it's doable. I mean, I, I've helped a mom. Her baby stopped nursing at the breast at eight months old. The baby was tied. Ended up getting the ties released at 16 months. Now, we were already working on getting this child back to the breast. He was latching a couple times a day. She had a great milk supply. Um, and finally, um, at about 16 and a half months, he was at the breast, uh, for all feedings except for two a day. So eight months of not breastfeeding since eight months old and 16 month old, we got it to latch and go back to the breast. So it's always possible. Yeah. So I went on your website, Jacqueline, and it's, it's just wonderful. And you have, you know, you have different courses. I know that you have an option where, um, People can consult with you virtually. I know you're on the West Coast, but that is an option. So what sorts of supports, um, you know, aside from the courses and the virtual consults, what other supports can you offer moms? Yeah, that's that's a good question. You know, I, I try to put a lot of information out on my social media accounts on Instagram and Facebook. So if you're the type of person that just needs some extra support or, or you know, is, is kind of looking for answers that may be enough for you, you know, just to, to see the things I'm putting out there. Uh, I like to do, you know, Instagram videos and, and sometimes YouTube videos as well. People find those super helpful. I need to do more of those. <laughs> um, but I started my podcast where I could go a little more in depth. So you can listen to that while you're nursing your baby or cooking or whatever. It doesn't require you to be necessarily hold the phone in your hand to be visually looking at something. And I've had so many moms give me great feedback about that. But yeah, if you need to go deeper, you know, I do have these online courses, so you can just sign up and take them right then and there, which is really cool. Um, Different topics, I I try to keep it short and sweet. They're like an hour long. And then if you really, really need more help, then you can work with me one-on-one. And I'm doing that just virtually right now. Um, Occasionally, I'm doing some in-person consults here in the Phoenix area. Um, But with things with COVID and whatnot and cases spiking again, trying to be extra, extra cautious. I think it's interesting. I mean, now, I mean, you know, this help exists. I'm trying to think, just thinking back throughout history, what did moms do? I mean, I guess it was more of that, like it takes a village, right? So maybe you had older um, female figures in the family that would help with this process. You know, it just seems like, honestly, breastfeeding is something that moms need a lot of support. They really do. They need a lot of support. They, they do. And and they did used to get it from other moms, right? Yeah, so we used right. to live in multi-generational households. So you would right. have your mother or your grandmother or your aunt or someone there that would have been very experienced with this and would have shown you what to do. Right. And, you know, or m- community midwives, right? It wasn't a formal designation that they went to school for, but, you know, this was the person that lived in your village or your town and, and came over and helped you have the baby. And then they knew about breastfeeding and they could show you. And so we really don't have that. And when when feeding became industrialized along with processed foods and formula, that knowledge was lost. People were told that science knows better and formula is better than breast milk and breast milk is dirty. And why would you give that to your baby? And, and for decades that went on. I mean, even mm-hmm. in the 80s, still yeah. people were told that formula was better and you were a weirdo if you wanted to breastfeed. Yeah. Like something was like you were perverted, even people were told. And that's just... You know, so, so much of that information was stuffed down, deleted, lost. And now if you have three generations of people who have no experience breastfeeding, where do you get to learn it? Well, you have to hire someone these days because yeah. 
chances are your mom didn't breastfeed you or only did for a short amount of time. And also they didn't make it a point to remember this. They never thought one day they would need to help you with it. Whereas back in the olden days, for sure, you know, that that knowledge was stored knowing that you were going to need to help the next generation with that. Yeah, that's interesting. And I really think too, I think the take home message is that breastfeeding can be challenging. And if you're a mom and you are having trouble, get support. It, there's, it's nothing to feel ashamed of. Um, you know, the support, you know, is, is crucial, honestly, to your success. And, and throughout history, women have, you know, women have needed it. So definitely, you know, reach out for that help if you're struggling. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I would say, I think that's the biggest factor is that it's education and support. If you can arm yourself with excellent education while you're pregnant, even better, but it's also never too late. I work with tons of families who, like I just said, the 16 month old, you know, or it might be a three-year-old who's still nursing and, and we're getting ties treated or something. Um, but it, you know, it could be a one day old. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, someone who's in private practice should have experience working with all ages. And if you're thinking, well, my, it's a you know four month old, oh, it's probably too late. It's never too late. You can always get help. Yeah. Is this something that's usually covered by insurance or are most parents privately paying for this service? Good question. That is a very complex topic. Um, <laughs> <Right>. Actually, <laughs> I have a whole other side of my business where I teach lactation consultants. And one of the things I do is teach them how to bill insurance. Um, so the Affordable Care Act from 2012 did say that lactation counseling was supposed to be covered 100% with no cost sharing. So no deductible, no copay, no coinsurance. How that shakes out eight years later in real life is really not that way. So it depends on the insurance company. It may depend on the state. It may depend on the type of plan, employer-based, state-based, whatever. There's so many factors and these insurance companies will do whatever they can to find loopholes. So you may have a hard time finding a lactation consultant who's in network because I used to be in network and um, eventually they started paying me like $9 per visit. I can't have a business and help wow. more moms if I'm getting $9. Like my yeah. rent needs to be paid and my supplies and, you know, I just can't, right? So so now I'm only private pay and most are going that way. We can bill out of network for you, but most of the time what we tend to do is you, you private pay, you pay up front. We give you a super bill, you submit it to your insurance company and you get reimbursed from them. And typically you're going to have better results getting it covered that way. Um, if it doesn't, you know, you can always use your HSA or FSA. You know, we're always eligible to be covered under that. But this is one of those fights that we as a profession have been fighting for years. I know we've had patients on the fighting side of that. There are lawsuits going through right now, but it's just going to take some time. So I wish I could say, yes, it's covered 100%. Unfortunately, it just isn't like that in real life right now. And it's super, super sad for all the families that really could use this help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, the good thing is, I mean, they can definitely follow you on Instagram also if they, you know, if they if they can't really afford the virtual visits yet. Um, I know you give so much wonderful information, you know, through Instagram. I've seen you do um Instagram stories and the IGTV. Um, you also have the courses. So you have a lot of information for parents who are looking um for moms who are looking for help. Yeah, absolutely. And from from time to time I do discounts, you know, I, I'm willing to do like payment plans for someone who really, really needs it. I I don't offer it a lot because there's a lot of logistical reasons, but, um, you know, I, I find, you know, I keep my courses super low price. They're like $27. Most of the time you can, you know, afford one of those. Um, or I'm happy to direct you to free resources. The last thing I'll say is that, you know, if you just need support, 
there's a lot of great online communities, but um, La Leche League is wonderful. Those meetings are free to attend. They're, they're great for just, if you want to kind of, you know, get used to, uh, you know, I don't know, what is it like when my baby starts solid foods or you just have generic questions, they're excellent. Or if you are at the poverty level and you qualify for WIC, um, you can see a, at least a breastfeeding peer supporter, but sometimes even an IVCLC at your local WIC office, they rent breast pumps to you for free. So if you qualify for that, um, that's an excellent way to go as well. Wonderful. It's amazing um, recommendations. Yeah. Thank you, Jacqueline. So where else um, besides Instagram, where else can people find you? Um, they can go to my website, holisticlactation.com. They can find me on Facebook at Holistic Lactation. Perfect. This was so wonderful and helpful, Jacqueline. And I think it's, you know, especially for new moms, like I said, it's definitely an area that I myself struggled with. And I am, you know, I think that had I been able to have access to somebody like you, I think I would have had um, a lot less stress. So this is, I think is going to be so helpful to our listeners. So we thank you so much for chatting with us today. Oh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm just happy to get this information out to your audience. So thanks for having me. Thank Great. you, Jacqueline. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please note that this is general information. And since we do not know your child, it is best to contact your pediatrician or a local pediatric professional if you have specific concerns. We invite you to continue the conversation on this topic in our online community at totsontarget.com. Additionally, you can find any toys, books, or products we mentioned in our Amazon storefront located in our show notes or on our website. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook for daily tips on how to keep your tot on target.